Welcome to The Fight with Teddy Atlas, presented by Dynamic Striking. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the great patriot on this beautiful Labor Day, Teddy Atlas. Teddy, how you doing, buddy? Good. Happy Labor Day to you, to Rob, to all your families, to Sam, everybody out there, to all the great Americans that live in this great country. Um, have, have a good day of rest. You deserve it. The summer is over. Back to work. Not that most people weren't already working anyway through the summer. Um, but hope everybody had a very enjoyable and is having a very enjoyable Labor Day weekend. And we will, this will be up obviously tomorrow, which is Tuesday. Today is Labor Day officially. And so I am not wishing a belated. Happy Labor's Day. I'm wishing it right on the button, right on time. But you'll get it belated. But the wishes and the thought is just as powerful as if you were getting it right on that day. And having said that, I have a little announcement to make, uh, a nice announcement to make, I should say. I, th um, I feel good about it. A lot of people have been asking, uh, really, a over the years. They've been asking me and really us. They've been sending comments into us if I'd ever be back to commentating the fights at ringside. And some people have been kind enough to say that the networks don't want or like the truth. I don't know. But um, there might actually be one that does. And... I'm gonna. <laughs> I didn't tell Rob this ahead of time, but I'm gonna tell Rob to get this in because what would be a Labor Day without a movie clip from Teddy Atlas? And so, you remember that movie, um, A Few Good Men? You know it, Ken. It's a good one. Of and, course. And it's got one of the greatest lines of all time, where Tom Cruise asks the great, the great Tom Cruise asks the great Jack Nicholson. Um, you know, I I want the truth because uh, Nicholson had said to him, "What do you want in a in a courtroom during Nicholson's trial?" And he said, "I want the truth. I want the truth." And uh, Nicholson, of course, shot back, "You can't handle the truth." Well, there are people that can't handle the truth, and I ran into a few of them uh, that can handle it. And um, there's a new network called ProBox TV. Not sure how long they've been around, maybe a year or so. They're looking to be the all boxing or fight network. And they're, they've just brought me on board. Um, not actually commentating the live fights, but doing, you know, similar to, well, nothing could be exactly what we do here. Nothing could quite uh, reach that. But hopefully it'll be it'll be good. I'll be doing uh, commenting on on fights, on obviously all things boxing. Maybe a look, little bit of uh, cooking too. Uh, <laughs> we're making into a little bit of boxing in the cooking network. A combination of both. I'm just joking. It will be all boxing. Initially, I'll be working with two former world champions, Paulie Malinaji and Chris Algieri, both of whom 
I caught a good amount of their fights on ESPN, on Friday Night Fights, on their way up the ladder. Uh, so it'll be a pleasure working with them. They're good people. Obviously, they know boxing. And just wanted to mention that as I look forward to this uh, this new venture, this new chapter for me. I spoke to the people who who are running things uh, at Pro Box, and that's really partly, honestly, what got me to to say yes, um, because in order to come aboard, I wanted to be around good people, and they seem to be just that, and they're serious and and passionate about doing this in the sport uh, that I've been in for fifty years. So we'll give it a we'll give it a twirl, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, the people out there. The most important element is the fans. Hopefully, they will like it, and um, they will enjoy it. So that's that. Cool. Well, let's talk about some fighting. Speaking of boxing, uh, boxing shows. Uh, Chris Eubank rematches Liam Smith over in England, gets his revenge, stops him in ten rounds. Fight was pretty much one-sided the whole night uh, after the fight. Lamb Smith said, I think he had to cut 42 pounds. Um, Eubank had his new um, coach, uh, Bomack, who was um, obviously Terrence Crawford's coach. We'll talk about this after the fight. But unfortunately for Bomack, arrested on the way back from England with a gu- loaded gun in his bags. and um, You know, <clears throat> such a guy, a guy who's so smart, and obviously in the realm of boxing, I think he, he's... He's up there at the top. I've never seen a fighter that Bo Mack has worked with. McIntyre, right? Yep. Brian McIntyre. Brian McIntyre. I've never seen, really, a fighter that he's worked with that wasn't completely prepared with a fight plan to do exactly what was going to be necessary to do to win that fight. And that's a big compliment for me. That's a big compliment for me because there's a lot of charlatans in this business and a lot. A lot of guys who just throw towels on their shoulder and somehow they're in the freaking ring with a fighter um, destroying their career or whatever. Or the fighter, if the fighter's good enough, like Customato used to say, uh, the fighter makes it despite of who they're around. But with McIntyre, again, I, I, I've never, ever seen a fighter under his guidanceship not you know like I said not supremely ready so as smart as he is there I don't know I don't know all the details but it just not a smart I hope you know obviously we hope hope him well and wish him well um you shouldn't be carrying a gun around uh I don't know if you should be carrying a gun around Especially going into a, into a, obviously another country, um, and I know a lot of people say, "Well, how did he get it there?" I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I would imagine. I would imagine it was in his checked bag, and when he checked the bag back in, they found it. It sounded like they the security found it, but. I just want to say uh, something. I feel like it has to be said, and I like Brian Brian Bomack. I have no problem with him. But you see things like Devin Haney gets arrested with a gun. Now Bomack, like if you are concerned for your safety and you you must have a legitimate concern if you have a loaded gun, hire security. 
because there's no amount of money would be worth not hiring security when the face with the consequences. I read today that BOMAC might be in jail until a minimum of October 9th, waiting for the next hearing. This isn't a joke. But no, this is a country. But this is a country who's very serious. But they're very serious about their gun laws. Half the cops in England don't even have guns. Which, you cannot get a handgun. Which in today's day and age, who could argue being serious about gun laws? I mean, well, we got young 100%. people. 100%. We we're losing our young people by the minute uh, in, in many of our cities because of, you know, because of street violence, because of uncontrolled violence, because of guns. You know, and, and I'm not blaming it on the guns. I know there's people out there that are responsible gun owners. I get it. I'm blaming it on people that have the guns, you know. And I'm not saying Brian uh, McIntyre is one of those people. Um, but if there's laws that says, that forbids you from carrying a gun, you got you to, gotta, obviously, you got to abide. I know our laws over here haven't been abided by much. Uh, I don't know who came up with the idea over here that it would be a good idea <laughs> to allow people to come into your store and rob it if it's under $1,000 or whatever one of those laws are out, out west, on the west coast. Uh, you're seeing more and more shoplifting, more and more robberies, more and more, you know, just crash and dash um, in stores. And you, and you see more and more stores go out of business because of it. It's absurd. I, I mean, really, it's I don't insane. know. Uh, it's beyond, it is, it's insanity. I, how we ever got here, um, how someone could ever permit that and say you got to stand down and just let it happen. We're to the point that if you point out the absurdity, you're the enemy. Listen, I don't, like I, don't give a, no I don't give an F about those morons uh, because <laughs> I don't, I really don't. Um, I might as well be six feet under when I start worrying about those morons. I, I, I'm worried about my grandchildren. I'm worried about my children. Yeah. I'm worried about your children. I'm worried about the people's children. I'm worried about Sam's children. I'm, I'm worried about all the good people out there. I'm worried about the people in these communities, in these areas uh, that, that are, are frightened to death to go out shopping, the, the grandmothers, the, the, uh, everybody, the kids, the children, uh, the parents, they're afraid to even go out with their kids that they might get a straight bullet. I'm, I worry about them. I don't give a freak what, what it, somebody says because it matches their rhetoric, uh, it matches their agenda, whatever they're pushing forward, whatever they're selling, whatever they're making money on. Make money on humanity. Make money on making life better for people. Make money on that, on, on just having fairness across the board. <laughs> but justice across the board safety across the board make money on that how's that how's that for a novel idea uh, instead of this other bs and and as i was starting to say how you ever came up with the idea that it's okay that you work your backside off and you form a business a living for your family for yourself for your family. And with that business, you're helping other people. You're helping the community. You're, you're hiring people. You're, I hope they get bigger and bigger. They can hire more people. And you're doing a community service. Obviously, you're doing a service to yourself and your family. You're living the American dream. Whoever came up with the effing idea that it would be all right to come in and violate that person 
violate what they did, what they risked to do, what they put their life on the line to do, what they put everything, they worked to form that, to make that work. Whoever said it would be okay to just come in and violate them? Violate them, and that's the right word, that, that they have to stand down while, while you rob them. And, and if you don't, and you protect yourself, you wind up getting arrested. What, how did yep. that, how, when did this, I asked my wife one day, honey, why didn't you wake me up? I could have done something. She said, what are you talking about? I said, when the spaceship came. When a spaceship came and landed and, and all those, you know, whatever they were, were coming out spr- spraying around the ray gun, you know, making, making everybody crazy, making, making everything right, wrong, everything wrong, right. When they were spraying that spray gun, that ray gun, whatever it was, why did you just wake me up? I would have went out there and I would have got a few of them. I, I, I mean... <laughs> come on what the hell are we doing people I, and hurting each other instead of I'm not saying that I'm not saying you know that saying love thy neighbor I'm, I'm not saying you have to love them respect them just that's respect right. them that's all I'm saying I, I, that's how about concentrating on that instead of this other dangerous nonsense I was going to just say nonsense but it's too weak or a phrase it's dangerous nonsense so again i hope i really do people are gonna say hey if he did that he deserves to pay the consequences i get it i hope he's okay uh brian mcintyre i really do uh who knows what was going on in his world in his mind uh but it it, it, it was it didn't make sense it doesn't make sense obviously um from what we know of it uh i i hope somehow it it can, it can make sense in the end. I don't know. I don't know how, but uh, like you said, he's over in a country that they don't play. They they're not with this stuff. They don't. They, they don't, don't play. They don't. They have the strictest gun laws. And listen, like you said, we hope he's okay. But I hope people are paying attention. I mean, we had Devin Devin Haney got arrested with the gun, allegedly not his. And I was talking to my wife and my oldest son, and he was like, "Oh, he had a gun." Uh, in his car and I said well he, th- he says it's someone else blah 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 and then I just said to him if you have enough money to drive a Lamborghini whatever kind of car he has I know he has a lot of money hire an armed security guard that has the, that has a, a, a integrity and won't put the gun under your seat and when the cops pull you over and say whose gun is this and there's two people in the car and you know it's yours and I know it's yours that the person who owns the gun says it's my gun. I cannot let someone else take the heat for this. I did. This is not my only gun. that. Let not only is it my gun, but I have a, I have a license to carry a concealed weapon. That's all. I mean, it's exactly. And if you don't have it and you have a gun, why would you let someone else take the heat? Which is allegedly what's Devin's alleging that they did. That not doesn't sound like a very good friend. But my point is, don't carry a gun. Hire someone to protect you if you need protection. But if you carry a gun, there are serious consequences for having a gun, especially if it's not yours. And if unless you feel like you, I tell people all the time, I take my chances. Having been in a prison for four years, I'd rather take my chances of getting shot than accidentally killing someone, even in self-defense and getting thrown in jail for the rest of my life. Uh, I'd rather be dead than go to jail for life. So I'll take my chances. Just for the people out there, just to make it clear for the people out there that think uh, Ken did four years of prison time, (laughs) he, he he was a guard. It was just yeah. so you know. Uh, <laughs> and I might have rather been an inmate than a guard, to be honest with you. It was one of the worst jobs I've ever had. But I think uh, is, I think please. being an inmate's a worst job. But um, 
<laughs> Please don't carry guns. All right, back to the fight. Yeah, Bo Mack did a great job. Yeah, he, he did a great Eubank, job. Eubank took him apart. I mean, took him apart. He, it was one-sided, the whole fight. Yeah, after, after the fight, Smith had said that he had to lose 42 pounds. We have to bring that up um, to make weight. Hey, just like there's kind of no excuse to... And I think this is a good segue, um, even if I didn't mean it to be. But I think it matches. It makes sense. As much as we're talking about it, don't make sense to carry a gun in it. You know, you pay for the consequence. You have responsibility to to use better judgment in that, I guess. Obviously, it's your responsibility going into a fight to make weight properly. Really, I can't say it you more can't, simply. You can't be putting off 42 pounds in between fights. If you're a professional fighter, that's your damn job. Like, 100%. But you don't have can. to be in camp to keep some fitness. I don't understand. 50 years in this business, it happens a lot. Um, it, is yeah. part, it is part of the landscape. Making weight, obviously, and some guys taking off more weight than they should. But as you touched on, and as I did... You have to give yourself enough time, even if you go up a little. You have to put a limit on it. You have to say, okay, I'm going to go up to this, and that's it. I'm going to have my fun after the fight. I'm going to relax. I'm going to eat the foods that I was denied for the last couple of months. Um, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to enjoy life. I'm going to enjoy the, the rewards of victory. Uh, I get it. But then you got to... You, you have to be responsible. You're disciplined enough to be a fighter. You have to be disciplined enough for the other parts to to say, I won't go above this and I will give myself appropriate time to get the weight off before I go to camp for, say, two months. Obviously, that didn't happen. It happens in this business more than you would know, um, way more than you would probably ever imagine. But again... 42 pounds, it's not the first time, probably won't be the last time someone did it. And Teddy, Teddy, one quick thing, though. I, I don't want to sound like I'm being super critical of Smith. If he had an ailment or he had an injury that made him gain the weight, then, you know, it is what it is. But if he's just gaining weight because he was, like, not training, 42 pounds is... My weight has never fluctuated 40 pounds in my entire life. I just don't know how someone has that kind of weight. No, when, when I get it. When your profession is... Being fit. A lot of these guys, they deprive themselves of certain things, obviously. We all do to, in some way, you know. I mean, there's yeah. fathers out there depriving themselves of sleep to get up at four in the morning to go yeah. work for their family. Um, you know, and they're going to yeah. have arthritis in their arms and legs because of the construction they work, they do in the middle of the winter. Um, I So everyone sacrifices in some way, but... At boxes, MMA, all the combat sports, they, you know, they they have to make weight. Wrestlers, they have to make weight. Uh, they have to sacrifice. They can't eat certain things for that period of time while they're training. So they're gonna wanna, again, they're gonna wanna part of the victory, part of the that goes along with being victorious, with goes along with. The sacrifice is the reward. They want to be able to enjoy themselves in those kind of pleasures uh, with food and drink. But 
you said it right. You got to be responsible. You got to, you, you just got to know what the limit is, where you're going to stop, what weight you want to get to, and then give yourself enough time to take the weight off in an appropriate way. Um, and as you get older, it's even harder to do than it is when you're younger. So 42 pounds, uh, it's, you know, you can't feel sorry for the guy. Just like we're talking about McIntyre. A lot of people out there being very harsh. They're saying, hey, that he's, you know, he's an idiot. We, how are you going to feel sorry for him? Well, you can't, same thing goes here if that's how you want to feel. I feel sorry for anyone who gets jammed up unless they did something so devious that you can't feel sorry for him. But the same thing applies here. The same rule applies here. The same way you're thinking. It's hard to feel sorry for the guy. He did it to himself. You know, nobody, as far as we know, it hasn't been reported that somebody was, you know, shoving hot dogs into his mouth, you know, as he slept. You, you know, we don't, we, we haven't gotten any proof for that yet. Or they've been putting, you know, he was drink giving him milkshakes when he thought he was having Gatorade. I think he would have known the difference. Um, so... Uh, there's a couple examples I jotted down of fighters that have had to lose weight and it obviously affected them in the ring. One of them was the one that was put up on the big screen, one of the greatest boxing movies ever, The Raging Bull, with uh, Robert De Niro playing Jake LaMotta, the middleweight champion. Uh, in one of those scenes, you saw where he was sucking on ice cubes in the sauna before the weight, that was real. He had to lose a lot of weight before one of the fights. He fought Sugar Ray about six times. I think it was six times, five or six. I think it was six. He beat him once. It was the first fight he beat him. Lamada was a great fighter. Sugar Ray might have been the greatest of all time. And um, and a lot of the decisions were close. That one wasn't close because he lost so much. Definitely affected him. That fight wasn't as close. Um, as I said, he lost a lot of weight. Uh, and it was portrayed on television, uh, Lamada losing that, you know, losing that weight as De Niro played him. Uh, and then another one that I I remember, it was known throughout, the people in the business were aware of it. Uh, it was never really talked about or really printed in, in the media a lot a real lot, but when James Tony was fighting Roy Jones for their showdown fight, um, Roy Jones Jr., it was pretty well known that Tony had to take a lot of weight off uh, for that fight. Now, again, was he dead at the scale? Did it affect him? I think it did, but take nothing away from Roy Jones. Roy Jones was prepared. If that's the case and Tony wasn't, that's on him, but it probably did impact the fight. I'm not saying he would have won anyway. Roy Jones was a special fighter, special athlete, but so was James Tony. Um, Tony, throughout his career, though, that problem with, with weight seemed to stay around and haunt him as he got older. You know, he went all the way up to heavyweight. I mean, he was fighting at like 230, which for a middleweight at one time was pretty, you know, pretty crazy. So... Those are a couple of the examples. Look, again, uh, 
at the end of the day, no one really cares, really, because it's your responsibility uh, going into training camp uh, to make the prop, you know, to know what weight you got to make and how to make it. Uh, I must say that one of the things I actually thought early on, though, when I was watching a fight, Ken, um, it was that it just didn't look like Smith wanted to be there or that he was ready to be there. Now, I know you could do Monday morning quarterback if you believed that he had to lose 42 pounds, but I'm just saying at that time when I didn't, I wasn't privy to any of this, he just didn't look like he was into the fight, which is a crazy thing to say when you're in the ring for a fight. Um, you should be into the fight. But it really didn't look like it. And it was actually the exact, maybe that's why it stood out to me so strongly. Because it was the exact opposite for Eubank. He was, you could see that he was ready in every way, mentally, physically, technically. Um, and you could see that this fight really meant everything to him. It was, it was his career. It really meant his career. After being knocked out, it's a rematch, obviously. He had been knocked out a few months ago by Smith. Um, and this fight was it was about pride, credibility. It, it was about his career. A true crossroads fight where if he doesn't win this fight, for me, I, I'm, I'm, and the way he acted, for him too, his career was over. I mean, for the most part, Eubank. Uh, so, to his credit, he fought it that way. He he had the new trainer we just talked about, Brian McIntyre and uh, Crawford's trainer. And as I said before, I've never seen a fighter trained by him that was not properly armed with the right fight plan. And that was, again, the stark difference between Eubank and Smith. It was so clear immediately that Eubank had a great fight plan and Smith, he didn't look like he had one, to be honest. Uh, it literally looked like he just showed up. Other than to stand in front of him with his hands in a peekaboo stance and walk slowly in. And once in a while, in a blue moon, he threw one punch at a time. I mean, that was... Uh, that's not a good fight plan. I mean... He needed to come in, Smith, behind the jab. And he needed to use his jab to try to nullify the jab that was dominating the fight of Eubank, to take away his jab. Eubank, taller, uh, he was, his fight plan was to control the outside, keep, <laughs> keep Smith at arm's length, make him pay for real estate, charge him four or five punches to make two or three feet on him to try to get close, make his travels dangerous to get in close. And that's what he did. Eubank controlled the outside, put punches together off the jab in times. Uh, the first round was ugly. He won the first round, Eubank. He, he probably won every round. But the first round was uh, was close. It was the only close round. It was ugly in a way that early on Eubank was panicking a little bit, 
grabbing so much. Now, it was smart to grab inside and tie up because that's the only place he could get hurt um, in his mind. He was he was winning the fight, if I remember correctly, the first time he fought against Smith. And then he got caught around the fourth round, whatever round it was. He got caught something in close, um, very clean, by just making a mistake, by being a little careless um, defensively. What left himself wide open, if you will. This time he buttoned up in that area with his new trainer, and he understood the urgency. He had been warned already from that loss, so he knew what not to do as well as what to do. He controlled the outside. When they did get close, he grabbed, he tied up Smith, made sure that he couldn't do any damage in there. And the first round, it was a little bit too much. But it was, you could see, it was part of his plan not to give Smith any leeway to do damage in close. But then he, as the fight went on, you could actually see, kind of like those those figurines made out of sponge that I used to get for my grandkids. And then they're little, and you put them in the bathtub, and they get big. You could see him get big, you know, not from absorbing water, but absorbing confidence. You could just see Eubank's confidence grow every round where he did a little less grabbing because he he didn't have to panic as much. He knew he had control. He... You know, he tied him up in spots down the road, but less because he was doing more punching. Less grabbing, more punching. More punching on the outside, using the the jab to set things up. He was looking early on to land and to set up the uppercut, and he landed it in the fourth round beautifully. And that could have been the end of the fight. It wound up going 10. That could have been the end of it, but... I don't know if Smith spit his mouthpiece out, it dropped out, whatever. But when he got up, um, the referee had to take the mouthpiece that was dislodged, bring Smith back to his corner, wash it off, and give it back to him. That saved, I think that saved him. That gave him extra time. The referee wasn't the fastest guy in the world doing it either. That gave him extra time <laughs> I mean he wasn't in no rush <laughs> he wasn't in no rush take your time there pal take it's take it always seems crazy to me when they when they I feel like with the mouthpiece there should be like almost a standard procedure because it happens frequently and you remember when the famous one with um uh, or was it the ninth round there the fight that we love Corrales the, um, Corrales uh, and Castillo yes Remember when Joe Goosen's putting the mouthpiece on, he's taking his time, he's like, come on now, you, whatever he said to him, like, you got to stop messing around Messing now, around. And you better stop paying attention Yeah, now. he's been messing whatever around. Whatever he said, he's I been forget, messing but around. his famous quote. Uh, yeah, messing <laughs> around, getting dropped and getting slugged. Messing but don't around. you feel like the ref dish should be a standard thing? Like, either, either you pick it up and put it back in there dirty, or the referee washes it and gives it back. You just, there's so much left. It's like the tape on the glove. Either the ref fix it, you tell the guy and if the guy's down in the round the coach the, the coach can't get the tape started if your guy's winning he's taping that thing so fast he's setting a world record but there seems to be like there should be some standard operating procedure so there's no room for that kind of stuff to slow the action or speed the action yeah up. Uh, no 100 percent 
they finally get it in. I've seen, you know, I've seen more delays than that, but it definitely gave him time to recover a little extra. He survived the round, but it just got worse. It, you know, it didn't get any better for him. He just was dominated f- for the rest of the fight, all the way up to the tenth round. You know, he hurt him again in the ninth, and then the tenth round he finished the job. But very dominant performance, and and again, very, very non-complex game plan for Eubank. He yeah, that's a that's a very, good point. He knew he was faster. He knew he was taller. He felt he had a better jab. He used the jab to dictate to set everything up, to control range, to keep the fight in his, you know, in his geography, if you will, as I always say, that made sense for him and no sense uh, for the other guy. Smith did nothing to take that jab away at all. And the other thing that Smith missed the boat on (laughs) was when, especially early on, when Eubank was looking to grab on the inside, he was he was panicking a little bit, and he was going to grab in such a you know a way like like a guy who hadn't eaten for eight days and he saw a steak. You know what I mean? He he was just looking <laughs> to get to that steak as fast as he could and just you know and swallow it down. You know and and not not even um, chew too much. He was looking to grab so desperately that he was leaving himself exposed as he was going to grab him. He would, he would start out, you shouldn't grab from like two, three feet away because you leave yourself exposed. You let the other guy have an opportunity to take a half step back and catch you with an uppercut or a hook, straight right hand, catch you with something, you know, coming in. And you could see the opportunity for that, but Smith wasn't ready to capitalize on any of that. He he because Teddy that that's an inch that's an interesting point and for the people listening understand the importance of if you're going to tie up to do it quickly I remember being in camp with you and you te- working with the fighter and telling him when you're gonna get in and get and you're gonna get into a clinch if you're feeling like you're in that position it has to be with as much intensity as a combination like you can't be going in took to a clinch willy-nilly getting getting caught with something coming in so that that's a significant uh point there and it's something that people if they don't work on probably should is working on how to get into that position versus just going in with your head down or 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 not ready to get caught he did a better job as the fight progressed but those initial rounds there was there was a danger zone for him where he was you know possibly putting himself in in danger by reaching to grab but we know now even more so if there's truth and there's no reason not to think there's not truth the way he performed that he had to lose that enormous amount of weight he wasn't physically technically or mentally ready to do any of that you know he was just basically ready to be to try to figure it out as he went which is no way to go into anything. If you're a lawyer, you don't go into court saying, I'll figure it out when I get there. You know, I, I just hope that I can somehow get through this. That's how he looked like he showed up. Like, I just hope I get through it. I'll figure out something. Maybe I'll land something. And um, 
he wasn't prepared, obviously, to do a tenth of the things that Eubank was so well prepared to do. So when it was over, uh, as handily as the as he beat Smith, and as I say, he looked very good doing it. I I didn't necessarily think at first blush that because the first thing you think is okay, where's he go now? What's he do now? You know, he's over across the pond. Eubank, what fights are available for him? And there's always fights available. You're across the pond. As I've said many times, our British fans are great. Uh, they they come out for their fighters. Um, they, they make the promoters rich. They make the fighters uh, wealthy. I hope they make them all wealthy because the fighters deserve to be. Anyone who gets in that ring and risks what they do deserves to be wealthy. Um, but I didn't necessarily think that he could stack up well with some of the other top middleweights outside of London. And I started looking at the at who was there, and, if, and then I changed my mind a little bit. Um, of course, Triple G is still there, you know, and uh, he's no longer really Triple G at this point in time. He's probably Single G because uh, <laughs> he's in his 40s and he's one of the great middleweights, and I love him. Uh, and he was great, but he's you know he's beyond obviously beyond his 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 time. Um, he hasn't fought for a while. I think he still has a title. I think he still does. Um, he hasn't fought since Canelo. That Canelo fight, he did much better than a lot of people thought he would do. He went the distance. It showed me two things: one, that Triple G is pretty much you know at that place in the end of his career. He, there's not much left other than his pride, and his, his dignity, his, his character, his championship will. But he's not the same fighter. You know, he's, he's not Triple G anymore. But it also showed me that Canelo was overrated. I, I know the great Mexican fans were waiting to hear that, um, you know, and <laughs> I'm sure that I made that day by making sure that I said it, but it it did. It showed it showed that he, he couldn't get rid of him at this point in his career. The 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 great Canelo, as great as everyone builds him up and a lot of people build him up to be, he should have. He should have at this point. But it also showed me something else. That Canelo is slipping. That as whatever he was, great or almost great, it whatever that was, whatever that level was, it's less. It's a little less now. He's slipping. And um, so I'm, I'm looking around to see, okay, who does Eubank fight now? You know, um, in the, in the, and, and there's fights in the UK. I think there's a fighter, Felix Cash. I believe he's still undefeated uh, in the middle ways from the UK. Um, that might be, that might... Uh, I think he was about 15, 16 and 0, if I remember correctly. But I haven't really followed it. But that fight might be a fight that over in the UK could be there. And then I started looking at other names. And in fairness, I look at a guy like Lara, who was a former world champ, terrific fighter. He might have beat Canelo. I thought he beat Canelo when he fought him years ago, but whatever. Um... You know, good counterpuncher, southpaw, uh, good defensive fighter. But he's also 
I mean, he's also ancient now. He's getting old, and he's only a shadow of what he was. So that's a, you know, that's a guy that all of a sudden I'm saying, well, wait a minute, there's viable, winnable fights here. And then I looked at Devonchenko, who's still rated there, and he's, you know, he he just had a terrific war with uh, the younger Munguia, but he's used up, and he's, you know, he's been terrific. He's a warrior, throws a lot of punches, but he's definitely got a lot of miles on the odometer showing and showing that, that the thread is thin on the tires. There's no doubt. The truth is the truth. And so I'm looking, I'm saying, other than Charlo, who really hasn't fought for, you know, I don't know, since Prohibition, right? Um, he, that, he hasn't fought forever. Um, other than him, I'm looking and I'm saying, maybe there are fights out there, you know, um, in the middles that make sense if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't, if he stays at middleweight. And he, the one thing that wouldn't make sense would be for him to go up to super middleweight. And I don't know that Eubank would have any reason to, but the only ones I said that he really had to stay away from would be the obvious guys like Benavides, Morel, even Magia, who might be too big and strong for him and young for him. Um, Magia has his flaws, his defensive flaws, but he's improving, um, I think. And, and I still think that that would be a tough one. So other than going up there, and then I came up with one more interesting one for the UK because I want the UK fans to get their, you know, to get their time, to get their their worth out there That for me talking about them. Uh, I don't want them to walk away saying, you know, going to their dart game or going to their snooker game saying, hey, Teddy could have talked a little <laughs> bit more, you know, about the boxing over here. And I am because I love you. I, I wouldn't mind seeing a fight with another son of a former champion, Tim Zhu, if he was to move up, he's junior middleweight, he's undefeated. If he was, of course, he's the son of the the, the former champion, Costa Zhu. If he, and of course, he fights in Australia. But if he were to move up from junior middleweight to middleweight, that would be interesting to see him and Eubank. You know, just a thought, that's all. Just a little thought. But... At the end of the day, kudos to Eubank and to his trainer, um, McIntyre, for really, his new trainer, for really doing a, a terrific job, uh, really terrific job in preparing him for that fight mentally, emotionally, and for him preparing himself, knowing exactly what was at stake, his career. His career was at stake. And he went out there and he made sure that his career did not end in a rematch against Smith. That's right. Well, that's a pretty thorough breakdown of a thin card this weekend. There wasn't a lot of action. So let's jump into the UFC. UFC fight night from Paris, France. Mikey Bisbin was on fire on the mic. I thought he did a great job. Him in particular. They always do a great job, Felder. But I thought Mike Bisbin stole the show on the mic this weekend. Uh, let's start with the co-main. Rose Namajunas uh, moving up to a new weight class. Um, she was in tough against Mano Firo. 
Um, I know Pharrell put it on her pretty good after the end of the first round. It looked like Rose broke her finger. It was pretty mangled. And she says to her coach, Pat Barry, uh, my finger's broke. He's like, yeah, yeah, good, good. We don't need a finger. Come on, sit down. Like, none of it. And she's like, oh, okay, you're right. I don't need this. And, um, but yeah, Mano just proved a this little bit too big. This is not the opera, right? This is fighting. And nope, same nope. thing for the ladies <laughs> as it is for the for the gentlemen. Uh, 100%. The levels have been improved so dramatically, for the, in, in particular the women's fighting. They're all so tough, so well-rounded. But uh, Mano put it on her. She won 29-28 uh, on two scorecards in 30-27. You know, you can't be a wise guy in this business because it's too serious. But, you know, lightening up is, is hey, hey, like he said, forget about your finger. Uh, you get a manicure later. You know what I mean? Like, uh, well, we'll, we'll go to the nail salon tomorrow. Um, but, uh, or, he, or he could have said to her, you have nine more, right? Let's use exactly, those other nine. But that is basically what he said by saying, forget about that finger. You yeah. don't need it. I mean, again, whether it's women, whether it's men, whether it's boxing, whether it's MMA, whatever it is, uh, there's there's one code of conduct. You have to be a warrior. Yeah, you, you have to find yeah. the definition of fighting for me is not really necessarily attached to using your fist. It's attached to yeah, overcoming. That's that's fighting. Fighting. What is fighting? You go to Webster's. I don't know what the definition is in Webster's, but in Atlas's, it's overcoming. Fighters overcome. They find a way to deal with things that other people might submit to. And um and yeah. To that end, Teddy, it doesn't even have to be a physical activity. You could be in a fight with yourself. You could be in a fight with your own demons, your own addiction, your own ailments, illnesses, injuries. It's got none. Yeah. To, it's not attached to balling up your hand into a fist and using your fist. It's yeah. attached to whatever you're dealing with that is, you know, threatening you. Whatever it is that's challenging, that's right. threatening you in your way, uh, in your way of achieving what you want to achieve. Whereas to get simply to get through the day, to get through the day, to take care of your family, to get to work, whatever the hell it is, the doubts that we all go through, all of us, fighting is the ability to get past whatever that obstacle is, whatever that is that's, that's yep. threatening you in that way, whatever it is that's in front of you, obstructing you from getting to where you want to get to. Behaving like a fighter is more important than fighting like a fighter, and um, and these these people in the UFC and the MMA in general and in boxing, they know how to. Wow, I mean that's what we applaud. Yeah, we applaud their ability to throw kicks and you know properly and to grapple and to use jujitsu on the on the mat and to strike in a magnificent way. But really what we applaud is their ability to overcome, their ability to behave like a warrior. And um, you get, I got the feeling in this fight, first of all, Rose is obviously a great former champion. She moved up a weight class against Fiorat, right, Fiorat? And and I just got the feeling, very close first round, but I got the feeling 
or at least I, I, that she may, this is a tough one, but I just had the feeling that at this point in her career, with all that she's accomplished, that Rose may not have the same fire in her belly as she once did. And I'm taking nothing away from Firat. She had to fight a great fight to win against this great fighter. And again, she was moving up in weight. But I'm just telling you what I noticed uh, and what my senses tell me, what my experience tells me, what you know, my instincts tell me, that maybe she don't have the same fire in her belly as she once did. And it almost looked, Ken, like when she was walking out talking to herself. And I know that's part of what she does. <laughs> but it almost looked to me like she, she was trying to talk herself into being that killer again that she once was. It was just my take. And um, No, no, hey, Teddy, Teddy, real quick. I agree with you. And like you said at the beginning by prefacing it, it's always hard to say that because the fighter could be like, these guys are idiots. They don't know what I'm thinking about. But I agree. It looked up for whatever reason, I kind of got that impression. I'll also say, anytime I've spoken to anyone in the jiu-jitsu or MMA community, I was talking to two MMA coaches at Cameron's Academy the other day, and they brought up Rose and Pat. And they're so highly respected and, and well-regarded by everyone in that community. You know, there's handfuls of guys like Dustin. You know who the guys are. And they're so well-respected. And everyone loves Rose and talks about how tough she is. But I agree with you. It looked like something didn't look the same as it looked when she was beaten way And where the tire meets the road, where the problems, you know, occur in this case, if that if that's the case, is that now... She's in there all the time with fighters that are just as hungry as she used to be. Yeah, there's no soft touches no. for her, not at this and level. And so the first round, uh, Fiorat won. Close round, but I thought she won. Immediately, the size difference was noticeable for me. Uh, Fiorat is so big and strong. She was very controlled. And she controlled distance very well, picking spots to, you know, when to step in, when, you know, to move. Uh, she pressed in the spots, boxed in others, mixed it up nicely. She's obviously a southpaw. And she transitioned very well from when she was pressing to suddenly, all of a sudden, countering. She did a magnificent job, a seamless job, it really caught my eye. And she used her jab well, her legs for lateral movement to keep Rose from getting set, you know, for her attacks, try to keep Rose off balance. Um, so she not only physically was ready, she was obviously ready as far as knowing technically what she needed her strategy to be. Rose tried to time her with shots and spots. Um, but again, Fiorat was a little faster, busier, and I think it was the third round where she grabbed that third round um, with some really good combination punching. Um, and as Joe Pesci said in My Cousin Vinny, I'm through with this. What did he say? I'm through with this one. I'm through with this one.
Yeah, <laughs> it's such a good movie. Uh, Cyril Gunn in front of the home crowd against Sergei Spivak. Sergei Spivak had looked really good in in previous fights. I thought this different styles, different obviously. styles, styles make fights. Very MMA, boxing doesn't matter. He hadn't been in with a guy this sophisticated, this smooth, this pure of a striker. Yep, and he's coming in. He's coming in on three wins in a row. He beat, knocked out Greg Hardy. He rocks, knocked out Augusto Sakai, and then he and then he submitted Derek Lewis. Yeah, good strikers, and good powerful bangers, uh, striking ability, but not not the kind of level of striking that gone is on or can be on when he's right. And Gon was and Gon was right and he was coming off that embarrassing and I mean there's really no other way to say it, humiliating defeat to John Jones who just swarmed him, submitted him effort looking made it look effortless. Surreal Gon looked like a different person on Saturday night. He was light on his feet, his footwork was awesome. He was throwing beautiful combinations and he just absolutely dominated Spivak. It was like at times towards the end it was hard to watch. I was like Spivak had no answers, no counters. Eventually the ref mercilessly stopped it but he had Spivak had welts in his ribs uh sir um Ghana was hitting him to the body hitting him with all kinds of oh you know you punches, reminded me I gotta inject one I, thing was, I want to go back real quick and give one more kudo one more you know appreciation to the effort of Eubank that I didn't mention I mentioned how well he controlled range how well he set up the uppercut combinations jab how well he went to the body. You just reminded me of that because Gon was magnificent going to the body and Eubank did a terrific job also putting water in the basement across the pond. Um, but back to Gon and Spivak, um, I thought Gon looked, as you said, fabulous. Uh, first round, very important round for him to get over the, get the ghost out of the attic, you know, um, from his last fight, uh, so the first round was took on added significance that from a normal first round because of his last fight that he had to get through that first round, which he didn't get through with Jones. Uh, so good job mentally in doing that. Uh, Spivak looked, while Gan looked really very smooth and relaxed, Spivak to me looked tense and stiff. I don't know how he looked to you, Ken, but that's, he just looked. No, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, do you think Gon looked really good or Spivak just no, looked I think terrible? It was a combination. Spivak, that was the worst performance I've seen from him. And and credit to Gon for making him look bad, but my God, Spivak had no answer, no fight plan. He was just giving. It's probably a combination to your question, but Gon looked yeah. really good. And I'm not going to take away from that. Um, and like you said earlier, those styles make fights, and this style for Spivak was an absolute nightmare. Yeah, Gon has displayed, and he did, of course, display really, really good striking skills and technique. And in the first round, he picked spots. And then in the second round, he just took charge with beautiful place body punches. You touched on it um, from his southpaw stance. And he, he used his jab to set up everything, as I always would say, you know, set the table with the jab, go to eat with the other punches, and he did. 
Uh, I think it could be fair to say that, and here's a tough one, and somebody will probably put this out as clickbait somewhere in one of these. Uh, they, they, they all listen to our show, which we appreciate. Thank goodness. We really do. Everyone in the industry listens. And then they grab things and they put it, you know, they put it out there in a story uh, with, the, with the headline. Obviously, it's smart to, to draw people in to, to read the rest of the story. And one of the headlines that I'm probably giving them without intentionally looking to, but I, I thought to myself, I want to stay away from it. As soon as I want to stay away from something, I go into it because then I think I'm neglecting my responsibility. <laughs> yeah, because I do. I think that way, Ken. Because then I think, oh yeah, okay, you're gonna, you're not gonna bully know. me away from this. You're not gonna scare me away from. I'm, I, I feel like staying away. Then I should go into it because it's my responsibility to. If I feel that it's there to be a light to be put on it, I'm going to put a light on it. Even if it's uncomfortable and difficult sometimes. And with all due respect, I respect these guys. I don't have to tell anyone that. They know it. I've been in their business with them for all these years. Uh, I respect anyone who gets in that ring, gets in that octagon, all of them. But different things happen. And the great part about it is something bad happens, you get a chance to make something good happen. You get a chance to redeem yourself. That's what I love about this sport, one of the things. The opportunity every time for redemption. And I'm not saying he got full redemption in his win against Spivak, but he's on a road to redemption. And what I was going to say, and I'm not going to stay away from it, is that I think it could be fair to say and take another way from from the great John Jones but and he is great and he is in his own level mentally physically you know he comes from a family of great athletes but and and he's formed himself into the goat okay um but i think that it could be fair to say that gone choked that's the one that he choked. It happens. It, it, it happens, but that he may have choked. I'm, I don't think. I don't think that that would be controversial to say. I think that everyone. I, I would imagine even Gunn probably says that he's probably incredibly regretful of ev the way that whole thing went because it was. And I know good. people are going to say, "Yeah, he choked. He got choked out. That yeah, he got choked out. Teddy, yeah, yeah, Teddy, Teddy got choked out. That's what. That's choke. You understand what choke really means." Okay, yeah, I do. I do. Calm down so you don't have a heart attack. I do. I get it. In the basement, wherever you are. I get it. Bah. Put some clothes on. Please. Don't be walking around underwear in your grandmother's basement. Stop. Stop it. No, but really, I, I, I you know, I request, I um, digress for a second. But what I'm saying is that could be fair to say that against the GOAT, anyone goes in there with the GOAT, <laughs> they feel different. Different things happen to you mentally. And that gone in that last fight with the GOAT, John Jones, that he may have choked a little. John Jones went and did choke him out. John Jones <laughs> got him into his geography where he had a big edge, not with the, so much with the striking, which he's great at that too that's what makes him great but he's really great uh, on the mat and he 
you know, he got there. You could say that there was a strategic mistake made by by Gon. Yes, to let himself get in that position so quickly with the great John Jones, who's so great in that area in that position. Yes, but you could also say that he short circuited mentally. That would lend itself towards the the common phrase. Sometimes ugly phrase, I'm sorry if it is, but just to get to the point that they call choking, that you did not put your best foot forward, not so much because physically you weren't prepared, but mentally the moment overcame you. I'm saying that maybe the moment overcame him. Oh, and of course, the great John Jones had a lot to do with that. His his reputation, you know, being in there with him, and of course, that he acted on it. That 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 one little opportunity of maybe staggering out of the gate, if you will, that's all you need to show a guy like John Jones. He ain't giving you a chance to get yourself righted. He ain't giving yourself a chance to get your legs under you. He is going to pounce on you and take advantage. That's why he's the GOAT. He's going to take advantage of that moment of stumbling out of the gate, that moment of maybe choking a little bit uh, at that moment and not let you recover from it. You know, he is that lion in the Serengeti that I talked about a couple of weeks ago out in the prairie that he sees that zebra, he sees that gazelle stagger a little bit. He ain't letting him get himself back together. He ain't letting himself get back into stride. He ain't letting himself get back into the pack where he's protected. No, he's getting on him. And that's what Jones did. Um, I think that having said that, I think that the experience of that, of him having gone through that, um, John Jones... I think ultimately that it's going to help him. I I really do. I think that ultimately uh, it's it's going to, you know, that old saying, what don't kill you uh, makes you stronger, right? And all that stuff. But I, I do think that he will get better from that experience. He's obviously on the right track getting his win against Spivak. But I think that experience is going to, a play a part in his in his future where I think he will get better. I think he will get better mentally um, from having gone through that and I think he'll be a better fighter for it. I, he's got to prove it. He's got to go beyond Spivak you know, to prove it. But I believe that he will. I, I, believe, I really believe that it will make him stronger in the areas that that God needed to be stronger. And the one area that I always thought God needed to be stronger, I mean, people could talk about on the mat and all that stuff, if you, whatever, because he obviously is a superior striker. But I always thought it was the mental areas. I thought he got beat by Nganyu because Nganyu was a little stronger mentally. Um, and I think that Obviously, that had a lot to do with his being, you know, beaten by Jones so quickly. And I think that having gone through that, having 
you know, knowing what went wrong and being able to kind of go over it in his head and having to exercise those ghosts of that and deal with that, I, I believe he'll be better. I, I'm putting my money on that Gan is going to be really better off of that experience ultimately. So time will tell. And we'll go back, you know, as the great Warner Wolf would always say, the great sportscaster, we'll go back to the videotape someday if that happens and we'll show this and we'll say, ah, Teddy got it right. Right on the screws. And the other thing that you're always right on is always right on time taking your Athletic Greens. Go to athleticgreens.com slash atlas and take advantage of a special offer for our listeners only. Ten free travel packs of Athletic Greens with your first purchase. Athletic Greens is the all-in-one green drink made from 75 whole food sourced ingredients. So you're getting the vitamins right from where they're meant to come from, plants and vegetables, I love this stuff. You take one scoop in the morning, soon as you get out of bed, boom. It takes care of all your vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, everything you need. It's the all-in-one supplement. Consider it an insurance policy for your body's health and immunity. Check it out at athleticgreens.com slash atlas for the 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. Athletic Greens, take care of your life. Take care of your health and wellness like your life depends on it. Because it does. Teddy, let's talk about the preview for the upcoming Israel Adesanya Sean Strickland showdown from down under. Um, and this preview is brought to you, of course, by our friends at MyBookie. Check them out at MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code ATLAS for a 50% credit on your first deposit. You deposit up to $1,000. So if you deposit $2,000, they'll give you another $1,000 to play with. Uh, as always, gamble responsibly. But let's get into the breakdown, Teddy. This on paper looks like it might be a, a one-sided event for um, for Israel Adesanya. We got the line now. We'll come back to your prediction at the end. But right now, it looks like the line is um, minus 660 on... Let me just make sure I got the latest up to dates here. Yeah, minus 650 on Adesanya, plus 425 on Strickland. And I also want to talk to you about the over-under. Minus 125 that the fight goes under four and a half rounds. Over four and a half, you're basically looking at even money. But before we get into predictions and the odds, let's talk about the fight and what you're looking for from both men. I'll tell you what I'm not looking for. Sometimes that's more important than what you're looking for, or just as important. Not only what to do. Fair point. Yeah, sometimes I tell a fighter, we're looking so much at what to do, let's look at what not to do. And that sometimes is really an important place for, to wind up or to start even. What not to do. Yeah, we know what to do. Very important. What not to do. Sometimes, if not just as important, more important. I don't think Strickland's going to be the kamikaze guy that a lot of people have thought. He's a very tough guy. He's a very serious guy. Give him all the credit for getting here. He's earned it. They all have. He's one of them. He's earned it too. Um, all the, None of the roads are paved in the UFC, you know, with uh, just, you know, with soft touches. They are in boxing sometimes. They are to at least to get there. At least to get there. The least to get there. Sooner or later, you got to 
you know, you got to pay the piper. But everybody does. But to get there, you can take one of these kids, like the, these promoters sign up, whether it's top rank, whoever, and, and they get these kids that are silver medalists, gold medalists, 200, 300, 400 amateur fighters, and they're putting them in with guys that don't belong in there, and they get them to 10 and 0, 15 and 0, 20, and without breaking a sweat sometimes, without taking a deep breath. And, you know, and then sooner or later, sooner or later, you are going to, you know, pay the piper. You are going to have to step up uh, with a real test, a real challenge. But it comes a lot sooner in the UFC. That's all. And if anyone wants to argue with that, there's something wrong with you. Because what I just said and laid out, uh, nobody knows boxing much better than the at least the terrain of it than me 50 years. That is the terrain. Unless you're not one of these privileged guys that is with one of the five power brokers the, of, in boxing. Then you got to do it. You got to do it the hard way, like MMA fighters. Then you're not being privileged. Then you're not being given a silver spoon. Then you got to fight whoever they give you right out of the crib. Yes. I, yes. But if you are the silver spoon one, you don't have to. But having said that, all of these guys, for the most part, in the MMA world and in the UFC world in particular, they, you know, they got to pay their dues all the way from the beginning. And Strickland, like all of them, have done that. A lot of people, if you think what that he's going to come in there and just, you know, go for broke, I don't. I wouldn't be so fast to say that. To me, I see a side of Strickland with all the stuff he says and the craziness and everything that, that they all throw out there as part of the promotion, part of the game. He's very cerebral. I'm not saying more cerebral than my friend Adesanya, our friend Adesanya. He's as cerebral as it gets. He's at another level. He's special. He is. But almost like a Crawford, to me, I look at him that way where everyone else is going at a slower pace than him, where he he's ahead of them, and where he can slow it down in his mind and see things. I think he's only getting better at Asanya. I really do. I think that that little bit of a, of a, you know, obviously more than a bump in the road, a hole in the road with Pereira, and then, of course, he moved up in weight, um, where he lost to Blahovich uh, with the bigger man, mostly on a on a on a floor on a mat, uh, but I think all of those have served to make him. As I talked about Gan before, where I think it's going to make Gan better his loss to Jones. I think that those experiences and losses without Asanya have already made him better. I think he's even at a higher place mentally, and that's where it all starts. 75% of this game is mental. I know the physical, but 75% is mental. <laughs> I think he's already at a higher place mentally now, Adesanya, where, like Crawford, things slow down for him in that ring where he can see things that others can't see. And when you can see things in a calmer way, 
in a way that others can't, everything becomes better. And particular, your timing. And if you're a good striker, you become a great striker. If you're good with your kicks, you become great with your kicks. If you're good with, you know, being able to counterpunch, you suddenly become a tenth of a second better, faster, sooner. Why? Because, again, you're just a little calmer in an uncalm environment than the next guy. You see things that they don't see. And that's out of Sanya. I think Strickland doesn't get enough credit for being cerebral. Again, not that level, but where as crazy as he is, he ain't that crazy. He's responsible. There's a method to his madness. He uses his jab to set things up. That's a responsible thing. He's got a good jab, a reliable jab, an accurate jab, a consistent jab. And it's not reckless. It's thrown the right time, the right distance. And yes, it gets him to where he wants to go for the most part. Yes, it sets up his right hand. And he is simple that way. He's going to look, he's a meat and potatoes guy. He's going to use that jab to set up that right hand when he's striking. And then he's going to rough you up, you know, like anybody would, with elbows or whatever, but, and throw anything else in there, including his, the kitchen sink, if he gets an opportunity close to the, I was going to say close to the ropes, close to the cage. He'll, he'll do that. He'll, he'll throw something at you that, you know, you didn't expect because he made you fall, to, fall asleep just looking for the jab in the right hand, just looking for the orthodox stuff, just looking for the conventional stuff. And then all of a sudden he'll throw some at you a little off stride, a little unconventional. And that's, I think that's part of his, his success and, and part of really what makes him effective and makes him... Uh, dangerous in the ways that he can be dangerous and all these guys can be dangerous. I believe that he's going to be much more controlled. He's going to try to slow the pace down with his cerebral approach where he'll try to control range and use timing with his jab. He knows he can't outspeed Adesanya. He knows Adesanya has a longer reach. I think that he will try to step out of that reach and then step into the step in at the right times with his jab. And again, you've heard me say it before, Ken. Timing can negate speed. Timing can beat speed. Guy could be a lot faster, but if you can time him, you can have success. I believe that Strickland will look to have his success. He he's like he'll be like Clint Eastwood in Dirty Harry where he says, a man must know his limitations. And he knows his limitations when it comes to Adesanya, what he can't do. He, he understands what he can't do. And he understands that he can't, get into a, he can't get into a speed contest with him. He understands that he's got to control the pace, find a way to control that pace. A lot of people could argue, say his best chances are is a shootout, a firefight, uh, the okay corral. 
you know, uh, gunslingers. That's his best chance. And I'm not saying he won't project that going into the fight and hasn't projected that. But the reality, I think he's too cerebral. I think he's too smart for that. I think he knows if he goes in there trying to force something as a firefight, he'll get caught on the way in because Adesanya's a great counterpuncher and he's got those long arms. I think he, he thinks if he goes in there as a shootout that this guy, he's got a six-shooter, this guy has a Gatling gun. So I, I, I think he understands that. I mean, if push comes to shove and that's his last recourse, so be it. I'm not saying that he doesn't grab that. But as far as him giving himself his best chance to win his game plan, initially, I think it's going to be along the lines of what I just laid out. That it's going to be slow the pace, control reins, time him with your jab, and try to find the spot. Just try to find, by keeping it calm enough, keeping it under control, keeping a cap on it, where the water doesn't boil over the pot. Because if the water boils over the pot, that water boiling is going to be Adesanya boiling. Because, because he's got those kind of skills, that, those kind of really, really special, you know, quick twitch skills and abilities um, that very few people have. So I think he's going to try to keep the pot from boiling over. I think he's going to look for a spot where maybe Adesanya gets a little reckless with his hand level, where maybe he can sneak in a right hand at the right time. And all the time, I think he'll try to keep it under control where he gets rounds. Because if he gets rounds, he's in the game. Again, if it's a shootout, the guy that's probably, for the most part, that's going to be laying there, you know, uh, in the in the in the middle of the the dirt road where these shootouts take place in the cowboy movies. That guy is probably it's probably going to be Strickland. So I think that's going to be his approach. So with that being said, I know the line is big. It's tough to lay that kind of wood, but do you like Izzy enough to lay six hundred and fifty dollars? Probably. I, I, I think he's that good. I think he separates himself that much. Uh, I don't think he'll have any missteps mentally, which he's he, he, he was more prone to having before he got to where he is now with these experiences under his belt, good and bad ones. Uh, when I mean by missteps where you overlook somebody, it happens. Even though you're supposed to be a pro and not overlook anybody uh, in whatever you do, it happens. We're human beings. It happens. I don't think it'll happen without Asanya after where he's been. Um, I, don't, I don't believe it will happen. And uh, I think that, you know, I think at the end of the day that I'm not looking to lay, what is it, 650? I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not looking to lay that, obviously. Who wants to lay that kind of wood? Um, I probably, again, if I was committed to betting on the fight, I that I would probably uh, 
do it, but I would probably be more prone to looking at some of the prop bets as far as the under-overs. The only one I'm seeing at the moment that's live is the over-under, and you got minus 125 that it goes under four and a half rounds and even money to go the disc to basically go over four and a half rounds. At that point, you're looking at basically the, uh, going the distance, right? You got to get halfway through the fifth round once that over-under triggers, minute 30 into the fifth. I mean, from, for me, I, I don't see this fight going the distance, but that line's tighter than I thought. No, I agree. I they're thinking uh, those lines makers are thinking along what I just laid out. That this Strickland is cerebral, that he he will try to control yeah. the pace, uh, and he will try to obviously you know not have a shootout because if they thought it was going to be a shootout, then the line would be uh, obviously a lot you know a, a lot larger, and it would be in favor of the under. Yeah. Um, rather than in yep. favor of the or even money with with the over i would if i if i bet on the under over i would probably take the money that they're offering for the under um even though i just laid out that he's going to try to go rounds that doesn't mean he's going to get what he wants um but but i i do think that he will put forward the kind of fight plan he be in strickland that will give him a damn good chance to execute what he wants and and be able to get into the deeper waters that he wants to get into to have a chance to land the right hand or, or to get in close where he could get his hands on him. Um, but I would I would again if I'm if I'm betting one side or the other I'm betting Adesanya and if I'm going with Something where you don't have to lay that kind of money. You don't have to put that out, which is always what people, nobody wants to put all that money out. I would go towards the under. Yep, I'm with you there. Um, well, that'll be a good one. We'll have plenty to discuss there, uh, to discuss next week about this fight from um, Sydney and uh, on the fight action this weekend. That's all I got, Teddy. You got anything before yeah, we Yeah, there's one other on thing. First of all, I'm going to be up in Bristol, Connecticut, um, covering the covering the UFC action from Australia, um, I'm still not allowed in Australia. You know, after I years ago, after I was on ESPN <laughs> and Aram didn't like it, nobody liked it. Um, what what was the fighter's name? What's his name? Uh, that got uh, uh, Manny Pacquiao and. Uh, Short white kid from Australia, and I'm spacing yeah, on his name. Yeah. Give me one second. I'm spacing on his name. name too because he threw me out of Australia. Uh, or his people did. <laughs> his people did. He did too. Um, but yeah, Jeff Horn. It's I. I was calling him John Horn, so at least I got it right. Jeff Horn got a win. I thought he got a gift. But he got a win against the great Pacquiao, who definitely was in the shadows of his career. But it was in Australia on ESPN. I came right out and said, hey, I said what I always say. I said the truth of what I believe the truth to be. And I didn't hide it. When when I had to interview him afterwards, a lot of people didn't like it. But rather than act like some people do, like like I, I didn't pick against him or I picked for him 
Or, you know, I didn't. I told the truth. I said, I thought you lost. He didn't like it. He handled it uh, as a gentleman. But he didn't like it. I guess I wouldn't either. But then again, I don't know. Because I would have been in a position where, hey, I won. And that's your opinion. Fine. I appreciate you. You're honest enough to tell me on the air. Uh, rather than make believe you didn't pick me. And then I'm watching the replay the next day. And I'm saying, oh, this son of a B. He, he, he acted like uh, he didn't think I, you know, he acted, he acted like he thought I won. Or he didn't have any problem with it. And the truth was, during the broadcast, he had a big problem. So I was straight with him. I try to be that way with everything. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, whatever. It probably helped get me out of ESPN because Aram didn't love it, um, quite frankly, uh, saying what I said. And Aram, of course, had his plans. You know, again, being honest. His plans was he knew Pacquiao was, well, he was getting old. Uh, he had a deal. I think he was committed to paying him $20 million a fight. He didn't want to pay him that anymore. Pacquiao wanted him to live up to his deal. I don't blame him. Uh, you know, and uh, like I said, Aram didn't think it was good business to any longer pay him that kind of money, even though that was still remaining on the deal. <laughs> because Pacquiao wasn't, you know, he wasn't the draw as good as he used to be. And, um, and next thing you know, Aram puts him in with this guy, Horn that could draw over there in a rugby stadium and the you know decision somehow a decision that I thought Pacquiao won every way to Sunday uh, somehow it goes to Horn who also Aram happens to have a contract with <laughs> besides with Pacquiao because that's the way it works where he had options with him that's part of the deal to get the fight he had to give him options Horn gave him options and who did Aram have waiting in the wings. Somebody named a young fighter, young up-and-coming, soon-to-be superstar that maybe could really, in some ways, grab the baton, if you will, from the great Manny Pacquiao, at least in the stable of Aram. A guy named Terence Crawford. <laughs> and and <laughs> lo and behold... Crawford gets, uh, Horn gets his one title defense over there, makes some, you know, makes some green. And then the next fight, who does he have to fight? He's got to fight. The he's got to fight Mr. Terrence Crawford. So Crawford could get the welterweight title or have a chance to get the welterweight title. And sure enough, I'm not saying it was served up on a platter, but <laughs> it certainly but looks that way. Next thing you know, Terence Crawford, the next superstar, replacing Pacquiao for for top rank, has what he needs: another title. He's got the welterweight title. Horn is gone, knocked out nine rounds by by the great Crawford. And at the time when I initially said that Crawford won the fight, I mean that Pacquiao won the fight and that that Horn had lost, his people were so upset, his promoters over there, him, that they said, 
Teddy Atlas will not be allowed into Australia ever again. We will talk. Yeah, that makes sense. If you if you have an opinion that, that that goes against the powers that be, just an opinion, we're gonna shit can you. That's how the, that's what's going on everywhere in the country. If you say something that goes against the ruling party, you're ostracized. You're canceled. You we just assume kill you. We don't want to have anyone to. I don't know if they could. I don't know if they could get away with it because I never tested it. But um, they 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 actually asked Jeffrey. They actually went in the newspapers. They actually went in the newspapers and wrote a story saying, "Yes, Teddy Atlas (laughs) is uh, is basically non gratis in Australia, and sada non gratis, and he um, we're going to talk to immigration and." If he tries to come, <laughs> seriously, Ken. Imagine how, imagine how stupid. This guy has an opinion that we don't like. Oh, what about bioweapons, nuclear power plant, espionage? No, no, about a fight. He thinks this guy won the fight. F him. We don't want his type down here. I bet you. What? Are you people insane? But after he got, after he got fed to the wolves, when Aaron fed That's exactly Aaron what happened. Fed him, I want to be things differently now. I want to be things. You know that Teddy Atlas wasn't such a bad guy. Uh, the guy that I thought was my friend might have been a bad guy. But look, whatever. I, 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 it all comes out in a wash, as some smart people used to say. But at the end of the day, um, the good news, there were so many people, including newspaper writers from Australia, good people, good people, the sportsmen over there, they really are, that call me. You got to remember, I did the Olympics there in, in, it was my first Olympics for NBC in 2000 with the great Marv Albert. And then I did three others after that with the great uh, Bob Papa. But I think that's the one my friend Audley Harrison won the heavyweight title, heavyweight gold medal from UK. Super nice guy. Didn't Harrison. didn't make it in the pros. Was very disappointing in his pro career. But yes, he did something that very few people do. Something great. Something special. Uh, he won a gold medal for his yep. country. But I, the the funny thing was that not funny, but the nice thing was that after that happened, I got writers from Australia and and fans that was sending in hundreds, if not thousands, of, of you know, comments saying, you're, you're always welcome over here in our home, bloke. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're, you're always, you're well, we'll come to the airport and we'll get you. We'll come and get you. So I really did appreciate that. You know, through all that, I joke about, listen, this is what we got to finish on. I wish we didn't have to. But we believe. Oh, hold on, I've got something. I forgot something that we have to touch on. Are you going to talk about the the WBA? Uh, Mahmoud uh, Cha. Um, we got. Yeah. You mind yeah, if yeah. I just no, give no, that please, headline please, and then please, you jump please. into it? WBA reinstates Mahmoud Char. You all know him, the, like, the legend, <laughs> yeah, Mahmoud Char. Of know. course, of course, I'm being you sarcastic. Know. This is just, I mean, if, if, if anyone who can even say this with a straight face, of all the heavyweights out there, the WBA has reinstated Mahmoud 
Char, who is 34 and 4, 38 year old German fighter. 99.9% of all his fights have been in Germany. He's been knocked out anytime he stepped up against Mar- Marlon Bradis. He's been knocked out by uh, the, the legend jo- Johan Duhapas. Uh, Alexander Povetkin knocked him out when he was like 60. But anyway, Char is reinstated, and the, the coup de gras, the icing on the cake, is who's been ordered to be his first defense, his mandatory. None other than the legend, Big Baby Jamel Char, Jer- Jamel Big up. Baby Miller, <laughs> Big Baby Miller, multiple times suspended for multiple different drug infractions. Didn't get popped for like a tainted supplement, one little uh, element over here. No, 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 tested positive for testosterone, EPO, growth hormone. Allegedly, according to all the reports, he's he had every drug in his system, and. Not once, but at least two times. And the fact that he's getting another fight at heavyweight where <laughs> that kind of power matters, it just seems it just seems insane. It doesn't even seem real. The WBA, like that's of all the heavyweights out there. I mean, you could go down a list. I Welcome mean, to Boston. Michael Hunter. Why don't I make him the champion? He's never been suspended. What about all these other guys that are like scratching and clawing? Like who's got the inside track? To the WBA, that got these two guys because you well, know there was that a it's lawsuit. There was a lawsuit Why involved. Would they pick? Don King was involved uh, yep. with Char. Had a lawsuit um, against King and against Mendoza, the head of the WBA, I guess. Um, and this was the outcome of the lawsuit uh, and the deal that was made. So that is part of it. Look, I don't even want to report on this crap. The only reason. <laughs> It, it doesn't the seem real. I, but it is because it's boxing, unfortunately. And that's why I have a petition out there that people should really sign uh, to get a national commission to clean all this crap up and get rid of all this crap. Uh, and, and we are progressing to Congress. So keep signing it. Let, let the, the petition get larger, more signatures on it. You can see the petition... The link to the petition will be in the show notes of the podcast today. They'll have uh, the link will be on the Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Look in the notes. We'll include the link. Just click on it and sign it. There's no downside to do it. We're basically just trying to establish a commission that oversees boxing that has some kind of regulation that you don't see things like this happen. Two random guys are going to fight for a a heavyweight Well, we are going to get an audience with Congress. We are going to get this done. So help us, help yourselves, help the sport that you care about. Sign the petition, as Ken just said. Look, I didn't want to report on this, but this is what we do. We cover everything that's boxing. Um, we, We like to pride ourselves as the CAT scan of boxing where we, if it's there, we miss some. We miss some. We're not perfect. But for the most part, if it's there, we're going we're gonna to let you know about it if we think that you need to know about it, even if it um, hurts a little bit sometimes. But it, if it is part of what's going on out there, part of what's going to influence the sport in some way, uh, that's going to show up on some radar and some blimp, uh, for the most part, we're going to try to let you know about it. Another reason fans are just fed up with boxing, uh, a lot of them are, and they've been for a long time, and and they get reminded of, you know, why their sport has been diminished um, and, and losing some of its credibility. And, and there's a lot of fans right now that are going to say, Teddy, I'm glad you said it. 
Some would be upset, I guess, but most of them would be like, because they tell me um, it's losing credibility. They're moving over to UFC. They're, they're, how many remarks I've read after these terrible decisions and whatever where fans will say, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done with this sport. And again, how many, the late great Bert Sugar, a friend of mine, and I miss him, he was great, but with a cigar and his hat, he used to say, boxing is the cyclops of sports. It can't give itself any more black eyes because it's got no more eyes to blacken. And and God Almighty, I mean, really, when does it stop? So it's it's losing its credibility faster than Joey Chestnut swallows hot dogs on the Fourth of July. I thought that was good. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was good. I, I Sam liked that one. Um, look, the WBA, the real call letters. I've said it before. I say it again. It's really not World Boxing Association. It's really we be asking, okay? Um, they <laughs> reinstated uh, Char, as Ken said, WBA regular heavyweight, heavy, um, I can't even say it without like, <laughs> the, the, he's the regular the, I'm not no, trying no, but, to be but, funny Teddy when I told you about originally I'm like I don't even think I've ever regular, heard of this guy no, I mean I'm but, being no, funny but he, but no he's been around but listen he's the regular I he's know the but regular I mean, heavyweight know. regular I mean I like my coffee regular how do you like your coffee how do you like yours Sam you like your regular <laughs> black okay alright I got you um, he's the regular heavyweight belt holder I mean, really, I, I feel like I'm at a gas station. <laughs> $20 a regular, please. Uh, you know, uh, and I can see the guy saying to me, uh, you sure you don't want high test? Nope, regular is fine for this clunker of a car that, that I'm obviously driving around in. Uh, I don't want to put high test, just regular, just regular. No high test for me. Look, he will... <laughs> He will also now be ordered, as you said, so eloquently. Um, I'm sorry you had to say it. I feel bad for you. Um, he will now be ordered to defend versus, <laughs> I can't even get it out, Jarrell Miller, um, the same Jarrell Miller as Ken said, tested positive for everything on earth um, that's not legal. Uh, he, he lost his chance some years ago to fight Joshua for $5 million dollars plus, right, when he tested positive for those PEDs and then some. And then, of course, Andy Ruiz, you know, just going through the the, the history of it, Andy Ruiz stepped in uh, instead of Miller and wound up knocking out Joshua. Well, Miller, of course, went on to be suspended three more times for failed drug tests. Three more times, Ken. It's hard to even believe, um, including... <laughs> including, I, listen to this, I think it's actually four times if you include one for kickboxing. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. I, I, no, but one of them, really, I think one of them was for kickboxing. <laughs> so it seems like Miller can't go to the grocery store <laughs> without ingesting some kind of enhancers. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know what he puts in his oatmeal, but I'm telling you, don't have breakfast over there. 
militant fight for over three and a half years after his suspensions. And as far as Charles, let me just go down a little more than Ken did. Ken did good, but let me just sort of, you know, x-ray Charles' background a little bit. As Ken said, he's 38 years old. He lost by knockout back in 2012 to Vitaly Klitschko. And again, Ken mentioned it, was knocked out by Pavetkin in 2014. Uh, He's 34-4, been knocked out three times, stopped fighting in 2017, took four years off, you know, just a a little little time away. Four years. As you do. You know, a little sabbatical. Exactly. Some people call it a retirement. (laughs) Um, Took four years off, came back in 2021, had three fights, one in 2021, two in 2022. Um, As you said, he was also knocked out by Marius Bredis in 2015. So if you were going to go down to Canal Street in Manhattan um, to Chinatown, do some shopping, you could get a lot of stuff down there in Chinatown, uh, and and you're looking to buy... Uh, a new WBA belt, you might want to wait a week or so. They they just might be out of inventory right now. Um, mark it on your calendar. Char versus Miller sometime in October at a circus near you or a clearinghouse sale at Costco's, whatever. Just reporting the news, fit and unfit for consumer consumption. And... Um, by the way, uh, the last bit we have to add to this, I guess the exclamation point on this was that this belt um, that we're talking about was actually supposed to be abolished. Uh, I kind of like that word. Uh, they should abolish the whole entire WBA and all the others uh, while they're at it. But it was actually supposed to be abolished, Ken, after the Usyk Dubois uh, fight, but as I was touching on, Char sued the WBA over a previous ruling, and this is the settlement. So, I I would have liked the settlement of something like, how about a round trip for two to Disney, and a one-on-one meeting with Mickey, um, and throw in a few passes for, you know, Matching Mountain or whatever the favorite uh, ride is nowadays. I, I would have, that kind of settlement to me would have been a little better than reawakening or, or bringing back to life uh, the regular WBA heavyweight belt. Uh, fill it up. Just fill it up. Regular. Uh, no high test, no high test over here. I don't know. I you, you can't make up this stuff. Uh, we're we're done. <laughs> we're done. I, I hope Boxy's not. I hope well, Boxy's not. That's a th- well. That's a thorough breakdown, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you on the new uh, on the new boxing show with Malinaji and Chris Algieri, two of the nicest guys. I really like them both a lot. I'm sure you're gonna kill it at uh. You definitely add an, uh, an element to that team that um, 
should be an excellent combination. But um, hope everyone had a great long weekend. Um, thanks again, as always, for being with us. We love all the listeners. Um, please like and subscribe to the YouTube channel. It helps us a ton. And if you like listening to Teddy, you like what he has to say, why don't you go check out his audio book on audible.com. Atlas, from the, from the Streets to a Ring, A Son's Journey to Become a Man. And it's, a, uh, it's an awesome listen. Tons of uh, insight about Teddy's career and how he got started in the business and all the uh, bumps and hills along the road that you get to see firsthand. I love it. I've listened to it multiple times while I've been running, and I know the stories, and I still find it interesting every time. So please support the show. We love you guys, and we'll be back next week with a full breakdown of the USC from Sydney. Have a great weekend.